Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Since 2013, Bombas has donated over 100 million socks, underwear, and T-shirts to those facing homelessness. If we counted those on air, this ad would last over 1,157 days. But if we counted the time it takes to make a donation possible, it would take just a few clicks. Because every time you make a purchase, Bombas donates an item to someone who needs it. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST, code ACAST. Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out-of-pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what-ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, Dave. Yeah, Randy. Since we founded Bombas, we've always said our socks, underwear, and T-shirts are super soft. Any new ideas? Maybe sublimely soft. Or disgustingly cozy. Wait, what? I got it. Bombas. Absurdly comfortable essentials for yourself and for those facing homelessness. Because one purchased equals one donated. Wow, did we just write an ad? Yes. Bombus. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombus.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. ดิ้งดองจะไปดิ้งดองเรื่องดิ้งดองไม่ต้องอาบอายทั่วโลกยิงชายไม่ใช่ของแปลกจนชาติไหนทั้งไทยจีนแขกทุกคนอย่าแย
ติดคุกเพราะไอ้เรื่องดิงดองบ้างมีเมียก็แอบหนีมาเที่ยวรองน้ำชาไปอาบอบนวลบีบเส้นสายให้คลายเมื่อยปวดแล้วหิวหมอนวดไปเที่ยวดิงดองอยู่คนเดียวก็เที่ยวเขาดินพบใจหากินเที่ยวเดินเสือซาเจอไก่ลุงต้องสุกาต้องมันฉีดยาเพราะว่าเรื่องดิงดองบางโปรดเครื่องก็เรื่องดิงดองไปจอกฟ้าห้องแม่ทำผิดแบบโดนของแข็งเขาแทงตาแสบเพราะเสือกไปแอบดูเขาดิงดองเรื่องดิงดองขัดของเหมือนกันคมขืนตึงตันหัวเราะร้องไห้เป็นเขานี้ไปมีคู่ใหม่ต้องร้องไห้เพราะคนดิ้งดองดิ้งดิ้งดองละใครก็ดิ้งดิ้งดองละพี่ก็ดิ้งดิ้งดองถ้าน้องดิ้งดองละพี่ก็ดิ้งดิ้งดองถ้าน้องดิ้งดองละพี่ก็ดิ้งดิ้งดองถ้าน้องดิ้งดองละพี่ก็ดิ้งดิ้งดองถ้าน้องดิ้งดองละพี่ก็ดิ้งดิ้งดองถ้าน้องดิ้งดองละพี่ก็ดิ้ง
Hello, you're tuned into 199 Radio and now listening to my favourite labels with me, Gareth Main. This is a show where every other week I have a guest from a record label that I admire greatly, uh, one that is doing interesting, innovative, more interesting, experimental things in the world of music. Every time I say that, the person who stood opposite me grins <laughs> like a Cheshire cat. Uh, this week, it's uh, Chris Medist from Paradise Bangkok. How are you there? All right. Yeah, how are you doing? Yeah, I'm good. Yeah, it's nice to be up here. It's um, a label where usually I start the show with like one track where it's one that first got me into the label, but yours is one where everything sort of came at me as a tsunami at once. I don't, wow. Probably when I heard your band, uh, Paradise Bangkok, Molem International Band. Yeah. If I got those words the right yeah, way around. One of the few people that gets it right first time. Uh, I always call it, I always <laughs> think I haven't got it the right way around. Um, so we started off with two. We started off firstly with Ypod uh, Pet Supan, uh, Ding Ding Dong. How was that pronunciation? Not, not bad at all. You're doing well. Yeah. And uh, secondly, <laughs> it was Abhanganet Equa. Uh, Gumaye is the name of the track. Uh. Less good with that one. No, it's still still good. It's still solid. It's still impressive. Yeah, the first one is from a uh, compilation, Paradise Bangkok, the album Volume Two, also mm. released on Seven Inch as well, wasn't yeah, it? That's with correct. The, yeah, with yeah, the absolutely. Super Ranat Band. So you, you've done your homework, Gary. Uh, I'm, I'm, I'm very, very impressed. It's, it's I'm I can fan. see why you got the show. <laughs> it's because I'm a fan. I just, uh, you know, yeah. I get the people in whose labels I love. Oh, so cheers, I'm just man. geeking out. You know, that's fantastic. All I do. Thank you. And yeah, second one was uh, from Out of Addis. A, yeah, a compilation of very. Uh, uh, loud sounding scratchy vinyl <laughs> of, uh, Ni- Nigerian no sorry Ethiopian yeah that, I mean, that, that, that project was quite a unique one because it, 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 it's really a collaboration with um, with Sheba Sound mm-hmm. uh, and that was um, run by a friend of ours called John who um, was living in Ethiopia at that time and he'd just like done this crazy trip of recording all sorts of uh, different musicians and bands um, around the, the whole of Ethiopia, not just focusing on the, the Ismari music, which is kind of like the, the, the biggest people group there, you could say. So, um, <laughs> so, um, and, and, and yeah, I met him through, a, uh, through, through another friend and, um, yeah, we're just really into what he'd done and we, we, we got the, the, the tracks mixed at Nick, Nick Manassas Studio in West London and, uh, yeah, it was a really fun project to be part of. Yeah, and a stunning album as well that's come out of it. It's, um, so Paradise Bangkok, for many people who are listening to the show, won't know much about the label, I'm guessing. So uh, it started as a, a record shop in Thailand, in Bangkok. It, it, it actually started as a club night. It was, um, I, I was living in Thailand and I, and I met Maf Sai, my friend Nat. And um, yeah, we, we just sort of formed a friendship. And then one night decided, look, you know, there, there was literally no one. There was no club you could go into where people were playing old Thai music. It just didn't exist. So we were like, well, we could play that and we could play all the other stuff we're into because he used to live in London as well. So yeah, he also had a really decent music collection. So we was like, well, look, we could play reggae and we could play African music. We could play other Asian music. It could be quite fun. And um, we just decided to put put it on one evening. And we thought, well, if it doesn't go well, then there are worse ways to spend an afternoon, evening, drinking and playing records with your mates. So yeah, at it, least you have a good time. Exactly, yeah. So that was so that was way back in February two thousand and nine, and that was the first event we put on, and uh, we got a good re- response from the get go, and things kind of blossomed from there. And now the label puts out um, 
both contemporary and sort of older yeah, music exactly. as well, as yeah. well as releasing your own band. With yeah. it, and that is in Paradise Bangkok. That's correct. As well, yeah, yeah, it? yeah. Um, so you're going to play a track from the band? Yeah, yeah. I mean, with I mean, so it was the club night first, then the label doing reissues, and then the the band kind of came out of that. So we're going to play a track from from our second album called Planet Lamb. Uh, so this is Exit Planet Lamb by the Paradise Bangkok Molam International Band. Cool.
it's a mellow choice. Mellow choice for the for the band. You you can be a lot more um, up tempo and exuberant than that. Yeah, that was. I mean, that that tune is. I mean, I guess probably it's not that. In some ways, it's not that representative of what what we do music. We'll, we'll, we'll perhaps sort of squeeze a couple of other tracks on later. But um, what was nice about that track is it is it started with um, I was experimenting with some sounds at home, and I sent the backing track over. And then when I was when we met together to record the album. It's like the backing track was playing. We were in a rehearsal space. Uh, I'm the drummer, started playing something. Bump the bass player, started playing something, and it just sort of it happened very organically. And I think what was, yeah, that that's very much how we try to do things in the band. It, there is, it's not like there's there's one lead person who makes the decisions, and then the music follows suit. Everyone kind of it's about you know putting your two pennies worth. And actually, when we recorded it, the guitar line um, we we hadn't thought to put that in there, and I think we were just finishing off. And Bum was like, hey, you know what? I've got an idea. Let me put it down. Just one take, done. That was it. And then yeah. it kind of changed the whole sort of vibe of the track, which is nice, you know? So how does it work then? Because you, you obviously used to live in Thailand and you yeah. live over here. Now the band presumably started when you were out in Thailand. Actually, it didn't. It's, no? it, the, the band actually began after I'd moved back. They missed you that much. Yeah, <laughs> something like that, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and it came together from, I mean, it's, it's an unusual group for Thailand in as much as there's there's two guys from Bangkok and two guys from the countryside, and you don't really get that type of like uh, amalgamation of uh, of musicians coming together in, in Thailand. It's like you either get tr- country groups or urban groups. So it kind of you know the the first rehearsals were a bit rocky to be honest, but uh, little by little everyone got used to playing with each other. And, um, and uh, was, you know, so you moved, you obviously moved out. You lived in the UK, moved out to Thailand. Were you yeah. involved in music in the UK before you went out there, or? Were you, you know, were you, were you knowledgeable about this? Why did you move? Right. Well, we we actually we um, yeah, I was involved in music. I was mostly involved as as a writer when I lived in mm-hmm. in London initially, and then I was I'd, I'd done some uh, contracting work out in Afghanistan and Pakistan for an NGO, and eventually I was offered a a job. And me and my wife had thought about travelling. And she, my wife, actually grew up in Pakistan. She spent yeah. most of her formative years there, so she still had connections there. You know. So I think that with, 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 by this time I'd had kids, I had twin boys, and we wanted to wait until they are about two years old till we travel. So it, I think once they hit two, we were like, shall we, shall we just Pakistan. do it? Shall we just go to Pakistan yeah. and see what happens? Just a natural progression you for know? any young family, right? Yeah, absolutely, yes. I, I'd recommend it to everyone. And, and yeah, it was, it was a great year. And then um, we actually had visa problems. We, we were back in the UK, and then it was all becoming a bit of a bureaucratic headache. I think if it had just been me and Sarah, we'd have sat out and sorted it. But then, because we had kids, it was like, you know, what do we do? And then, because my wife's a teacher, she saw a job come up in Thailand. So we were like, well, we're either going to just like stay in limbo in the UK, or we're going to go somewhere else. So we just thought, let's give it a give it a whirl. And that that is the very dull domestic reason why we ended up in Thailand. Okay. You know. So the fun uh, music side of things. How do you go so from working for an NGO mm. and you know husband of a teacher in Thailand? <laughs> uh, is it essentially you were spending your days going to uh, record shops, or well, like what happened there? I mean, but, yeah, but basically, um, I ended up working. At, I, I was doing um, like music teaching at the school as well just until i sort of figured out what i was going to do and you know because it because of the the temperature obviously things get very a lot hotter than they do Mm -hmm. here so you know the school day starts at 7 a.m and you're finished by two so i was just like well i'm I'm gonna 
start looking for records because that's that's generally what that, that's my kind of my default response to change is like yeah. i have to if i can find some musical record shops or whatever then i kind of feel a bit more kind of at home so um yeah i just started going out into the old town the chinatown where there were still quite a quite a few old stores and just started going through stuff and that was that was the beginning of and i didn't have any prior knowledge of um of Thai music but I just I knew there'd be something I knew there'd be something because it's there always is you know well did you have like a, a penchant for that sort of music at all or like any knowledge whatsoever of like yeah I, I mean I, I picked up quite a lot about Pakistani music I knew about South Asian music from Pakistan and India and there but but for Southeast Asian no I didn't have any I didn't have any pointers whatsoever but it's, I think it was it was a really nice experience of just going somewhere and going right what's this I'm just gonna have to I'm going to have just to listen to a bunch of stuff yeah. until I've got some pointers. And strangely enough, when I first heard like some of the Luktung stuff from Thailand, um, it really reminded me of Ethiopian music in a kind of weird way. I was like, this this kind of sounds a bit like, you know, Malatu or Mahmoud Ahmed. I mean, obviously it was different, but there was mm-hmm. a kind of a vibe about it. Um, and it was just it was just listening. It was just, it was going through piles and piles and piles of records. So I can appreciate uh, the average person perhaps would not do that because it was literally going down to Chinatown, spending like two to three hours of just going through record after record because I can't read anything because it's all entire script, yeah. which is like a kind of a Sanskrit based uh, alphabet. Yeah, there's no clues as to how good a record could and, be. And the thing is as well, you think about like buying records in the UK or the US, it's like there's always pointers. It's like the year, the producer, what instrument to use, what the band's wearing, all that stuff which tells you something. And, the, and everything was back to front over there. In fact, generally, if, if something had a cool cover, the, the music would invariably be quite bad. Mm-hmm. And then you have a sort of a bloke with a terrible haircut and an ill-fitting suit in the front, and it, it was completely mind-blowing. So <laughs> eventually I thought, I'm just going to have to accept I have to listen to everything. I can't just rifle through and go, oh, that looks interesting, that looks interesting. In fact, there was a funny story, um, like, this may be apocryphal, but it, it's amusing nevertheless, <laughs> that, that DJ Shadow, he, he, he played in Thailand, I guess a few months after I, I, I was living there, and... I think he just went to a shop just before he went to the airport. And I think, so I'm told, he bought a bunch of stuff on spec and it didn't turn out to be too good um, from, from, from what I hear. Cause, and, I, and I could believe it because it's like, if you look at stuff, you might make a conclusion, but the reality is it's not. Yeah, not it doesn't that. play by the same rules. As... It does not. So you have to listen to everything. But that's in itself is quite a fun sort of discipline. And it also meant that, you know, you'd, you'd I was so that the next track we got queued up. Um, this was just a, it was just a seven inch, it was like just a red label with black writing on, completely inconspicuous. And but when I heard it, it was it was kind of mind blowing. So we'll 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 play that next, shall we? Shall we have a listen? All right. <laughs> Oh, 
I don't know a huge amount about um, Luck Tongue, 
Or the, the, any... This last track was a, was a, a Molam, a Molam um, record from the Northeast. So I don't know much about Thai music or Thai genres, but uh, that, to my untrained ear, would sound more traditional than the, yeah. I would call it bonkers track that you played just before. <laughs> yeah, I think that's fair enough. I mean, the, the one before it was from the south of Thailand, so the, 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 the style is different anyway. Mm-hmm. But this, I think the most Molam tracks will have, as you say, that slight traditional feel because of the prom- prominence of the instruments, which is like the can, which like, it looks like a kind of ba- bamboo sort of mouth harmonica, you know, mouth organ, mm-hmm. um, and the pin, which is like a, a sort of two or three string lute. And those... That hasn't the, the the essential lineup for Molam groups have not really changed much in two or three hundred years yeah. until the twentieth century when they started add, adding kind of electric instruments, which obviously you know modernised it to a degree. And the two tracks that we just played, you know, yeah. I mean, you've got the vinyl here, yeah. and the labels are completely nondescript <laughs> from a Western yeah. English point of view. Uh, do you know who the artists are? What they're called? Y- any of that? Yeah, I can tell you that the the, the, the one we just heard now. Um, and Nat, Nat despairs of my inability to remember any of the sort of names or anything, but it was a, a bit, it's a, it's on the Pet Ping Tong label. Pet Ping Tong was like a, a famous band in Thailand, yeah. um, headed by um, the guy of the same name. Um, and he he's also like a famous comedian now as well, a movie star. Okay. So he's he's kind of like one of these kind of, re, re, it's a sort of Thai renaissance. Yeah. <laughs> um, the other artist I'll just get for you. Uh, yeah, it's, uh, it's interesting. I've done, well, this is the fifth of these shows, and it's amazing how many people who run labels don't know the names of the tracks <laughs> of, the, <laughs> of the music they're putting out. Doug Shipton, who obviously you know from working with yeah, Finders Keepers yeah, Records, yeah, yeah. he knows pretty much nothing apart from uh, the catalogue numbers. Oh, he wow, does, Doug. But, but has an incredible knowledge of catalogue numbers <laughs> with his own label, <laughs> <laughs> which he was joking about at length when he was in here a month ago. Yeah. But, so, so the track before is, is called Kati Swanjai, um, and the name of the artist, I'll give him my best shot again, now I'll have his head in his hands with my atrocious pronunciation, <laughs> um, Nung Lam Yong uh, Kulab Simuang. So there you okay, go. Rock yeah. rolls off the tongue just like that. It, so. <laughs> yeah, it really does. And you were talking about how because you don't speak the language ah. and don't have any of the sort of the cues that you, the clues that you would get if you were record digging in the UK yeah, or anywhere yeah. in Europe... Um, you were saying that you just have to dive in and listen to it. Yeah. And I mean, you know, I we're both involved in music. We have to listen to a lot of bad stuff to find good stuff. But yes. that must have just been tenfold worse having to go into record shops in Thailand and having infinite numbers of records to listen to to find good stuff. Yeah, it, it tended to be about sort of like one in 70, I would say. It's actually not a bad hit rate. It's not too bad. And, and Better also... than listening to reggae on SoundCloud or techno. <laughs> In my opinion, yes, yeah. I, I would agree with you. Um, and I think the thing is also is most of the records, are, uh, they have very similar arrangements. So mm-hmm. they'd have the intro. You, you'd, you'd be able to tell whether the track was going quite quickly and whether the vocal was much good. So after a while, I'd be able to skip through things at quite a rate. And yeah. that, that might not sound like it's like, okay, whatever. But when you're dealing with, as you say, a box of sevens and the guy's going to close in two hours, you, you've got to kind of get on with the job, really. And yeah. um, and also, uh, t- generally two hours, your ears get tired. After that point, great songs can sound terrible, and terrible songs can sound great. So it's also in your kind of economic interest to probably not exceed that. And, yeah. and, or at least go and have a break and a coffee for half an hour or something. That's, yeah. that's my personal uh, tip for <laughs> digging success. Well, such like, as get, it is. Take a break. It's like a screen break if you that's work it. in front of a computer, that's right? That's exactly it. Yeah, yeah, quite. But, but they, um, that first one that you played, I mean, I, I said to you when you put it on, it's like about five seconds in, it's like, 
see why you bought this. Like, as soon as <laughs> yeah, you hear yeah. it, it's just like, this sounds like nothing else that I've heard ever. And, and indeed, even within Thailand, that's, it's not a common kind of sound. I mean, yeah. I think it was just put out as a promo, that seven. It's, it's, it's not, not that common. And I think, you know, it, like with every genre around the world, you, you know, quite often it's the, the tracks that, you know, nobody took notice of initially can sound more interesting now for whatever reason. Yeah. Um, and, you know, because vinyl was quite cheap in Thailand, once, once the, there was a, a pressing plant just outside of Bangkok, you know, as a band, you could get like 100 copies, 200 copies pressed up mm-hmm. just to give away at gigs or give to radio stations or whatever. But that means that, you know, they weren't really in general circulation, so they're quite hard to track down. So a track like that, I, I don't, I'm not even sure if it was an official release, to be honest. And what was the um, response to you sort of digging and pulling out these, uh, presumably a lot of them are traditional or sort of old records that you were pulling out and buying? What was the reaction of people in shops? C- kind of amusement. Yeah. I think people uh, or people would either think it was quite funny or they'd think I was up to something. <laughs> they would they would just view me with sort of abject suspicion yeah. as I, I was sort of involved in some sort of grand kind of con. <laughs> um, but generally people would say, oh, right, do you like this then? Or do you have a Thai wife? Is that why you like it? Mm-hmm. And if I said, I just think it's good, they, they'd sort of chuckle and sort of shake their head in disbelief. Because the thing is, a lot of this music is country music. Mm-hmm. You know, I, I, I mean, imagine if... You know, a, a, a Thai thirty-something came here and started like digging out Shirley Collins records. You'd be like, "What are you doing?" You'd, you'd, <laughs> any any of us, if we're honest, would at least be like, "Really? You like this? Oh, that's quite strange." So it's 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 not you know when we think about it, it it sort of made me laugh at the time, but it's not that old. I mean, why why wouldn't they yeah. find it unusual? But what would always happen is is um, uh, if I was just by myself with a shop owner, we we we'd talk a little bit, and that would be that. But if some of his mates came into the shop. They'd start talking about this foreigner. And, they'd, and, and it was never malicious, but they'd start yeah. laughing, like, why is this guy buying this? But then they'd always start putting on the records they wanted, which was like sort of Barbara Streisand and Elvis Presley. So really, we were all involved in the same thing. Yeah. We're trying to look for something else in someone else's music and, and kind of, you know, we're, we're, we're intrigued or we're, we're exoticizing things or whatever it might be. Yeah. So I think, you know, it, it, all of this was born out of curiosity. And, and it was just... Nice to be in a position because I was living there. I, I just had the time to do it. Most of the time when you're traveling, you know, time and just luggage space and all the rest of it, you know, tends to impinge on it. But to have, you know, whole afternoons at a stretch just to sort of go around these shops was, was you know, was, uh, it's something that won't ever happen again, I'm quite sure. So what's uh, this next track you've got queued up? Because it looks, looking at the labels, it looks remarkably similar to the other one. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, this, so this is, um, this is the KS label and... Um, they put out. They only put out seven releases, and they're all singles. I don't think they ever did any LPs. And and again, I can't remember the name of the artist. Sorry, but we're we're going to be reissuing all the stuff on this label. It'll mm-hmm. be coming out um, on uh, Nat Sudrangmar level, the Sudrangmar label, but done through sort of alongside Paradise Bangkok. That will sort of come out early next year, I think. Um, the main artist on this label actually refused to record initially. He was very, very popular in Isan, which is like the, the region of the northeast. And I think what it was is his friend ran a shop in Bangkok and eventually said, look, everyone loves you, man. Come and do some recording. He was like, no, I don't want to do that. I'm a, you know, I want to keep it real, blah, blah, blah. I, I don't mm. know if he actually said that, but I'm, 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 I'm paraphrasing it, right? Um, so he came down and he made these records, but w- as we'll see, they're, they're all so unusual because it feels like they put echo on everything. Yeah. And I think that they, because it was in the mid-70s, disco was like popular the world over. And it, 
I think they were trying to kind of discify some of the Molo, Molam tracks, but with kind of, you know, I, I think commercially for the time must have been disastrous. I've been listening to it now. It certainly piqued my interest. <laughs> so it's, it's a really, again, it, it's not, I would say it's probably, I mean, the, the track we heard before is probably more representative, but this is, this is, this is a genuinely unusual record mm. and very hard to get. So it'll be nice to kind of have this on, on general release. So. A bit easier to get when, once it's out on Paradise Absolutely Bangkok. right. Yeah, watch this space. Anyway, check, check it out, see what you think. the least disco disco <laughs> I think I've yeah, ever heard. That certainly sounded cracking, though. Yeah, and, and every other... I mean, I think they must have recorded all the tracks in the same session because they've all got the same vibe to them. Yeah. But um, well, if he I'd... didn't want to record, he's going to do it all with one go, and that's it, right? So you can only go get him down for one session. And I think also because it's, it, it's, cause it's it, the production style is quite unusual, I think there, there was also a thing where... 
it was always nice to find tracks where before a style had consolidated, so you could hear with all the different records, the, the ones we gravitated towards, they, it's like people were playing around, they weren't quite sure, well, we can add a bit of this, we can do a bit mm -hmm. of that, but it hadn't quite settled down. And like by the end of the sort of 70s, things have become a lot more formulaic. People have kind of stopped being taking so many risks. Um, and I think also it's, it's worth saying that uh, we've, we've never kind of sought to like represent, th this, is, this is the kind of the, the genuine, like th this is the true style of Marlam. It was very much, it was very subjective. It's like, we like this one and we like mm -hmm. that one. And that was how we constructed our sets. And then, so obviously when we started the label, it was, it was done on the same basis. What tracks excite us? Yeah. We think we like this. So we think other people will like us. We try to keep it sort of as close to that kind of like, sort of, the sort of simplicity in a sense. Yeah. Well, one of the things, um, so when I was researching this show, I always like to bring out a few records or tracks that I think the other person, the guest of the show might like, or mm. things that are related to the label or things that have inspired me from the label. Mm. And one thing that I realized is that you are pretty much the bona fide expert in Thai, uh, Pakistani music in the UK, in the fact that every record that I have that has this sort of music on it is either on Paradise Bangkok or on Finders Keepers or on Soundway or has had you helping in the comp <laughs> okay. in the credits of it in some <laughs> Lurking way. in the shadows yeah, somewhere. So it's literally impossible for me <laughs> to <laughs> find anything. Uh, but one of the things um, that interests me is how do you... So you do compilations for Finders Keepers yeah. and for Soundway and people like that. Mm. How do you separate what you keep for the label and what you give to those guys? Uh, I mean, it was in... in for the first volume of Sound of Siam and then Tide Dial, it was quite easy because we hadn't, we didn't have a label then. Mm -hmm. um, so we, 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 it was literally, it was tracks we played out and we thought were great. And obviously they were, they were tailored a little bit. So sort of like Sound of Siam was, was a bit more kind of folky and Tide was more kind of like psych mm -hmm. kind of orientated. Um, but so those, that was quite straightforward. Sound of Siam volume two, I mean, there's there's loads of music. There's there's plenty to go around. Yeah. So it was just like, well, we, you know, we we we, try, we we when you're doing compilations for other people, I think you have to think about the audience of, of, of like every label's got an audience. Mm -hmm. It's not like set in stone, but people a certain you know a certain demographic will gravitate, you know, toward towards label output. So you, you know you kind of like bear that in mind. I think. Yeah. Um, and then for us, I mean, a lot sometimes with us to be to be frank. Um, with some of our releases on seven, it's like the tracks that only came out as album tracks, and we're like, well, we'd be nice to have that on a seven to play <laughs> out. So let's release it, you know. Have um, it just for your box. Press three hundred yeah. copies for your own copy. Yeah, and then you know, then two hundred ninety-nine other people or two hundred ninety-eight other people can well, yeah. can have a copy. You know, two hundred ninety-eight replacements for when you yeah, scratch yeah, them. Yeah, right? exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Quite um, so. I did find one record though. Um, that was so actually if you search in discogs and mm. country and thailand for like the country of where the music has come from pretty much all their best-selling ones are compilations yeah, that you've that been involved sense. well that you've been involved oh, in really? as well. okay. i don't know if you've okay. ever spotted this i haven't actually uh, no no I'll but check it out but the one record in my uh, collection that doesn't that has been recorded in thailand is a field recordings record mm. and i just wanted to bring it along because 
Uh, there's no other excuse to play this. I, I, <laughs> okay. I, I, I put this on in my house, <laughs> and my girlfriend's just like, "What the hell are you listening to?" So, but it's through through a label uh, called Sublime Frequencies, mm. who probably best known over here for discovering the wrong words, but bringing Omar Suleiman and yeah, Group yeah, Due yeah. and a couple yeah. of other labels like that. Also, do a few compilations. Um, but this is from a guy called Jesse Paul Miller. He He's a Seattle artist, goes around Southeast Asia huh. uh, making field recordings, just recording the sounds of music and whatever he, whatever he comes across. So this record is called A Distant Invitation, uh, street and ceremonial recordings from Burma, Cambodia, India, Indonesia, Malaysia and Thailand. And we're just going to play the Thailand one. Nice one. I actually, but, but just as it's fading in, I, I ran into Alan, one of the guys behind Sublime Things, is in, in a record shop. We were, we were both doing the same thing. It was in a shop that's kind of notorious. It has this horrible dog in it that if you get too close to certain records, it growls at you, so you have to stay <laughs> away. Thank <laughs> you. 
Yeah. I'm going to let you uh, tell us what that track is. That is not field recordings from Thailand. No, not not so much. That's uh, Quang Noi Chole, uh, Nick Manassas dub version uh, by the Paradise Bangkok Molam International Band uh, off our first record, 21st Century Molam, which um, came out, I don't know, a couple of years ago or something like yeah, that. Yeah, it must be yeah. like four, three, four years ago. Maybe, yeah, maybe it's longer, yeah. That's yeah. Right. But I think, I think that's, that came on a 12. Right? I think it's for one, one of the records I'm, you know, Really, probably one of my favourites we put out as a band, I think. And there was a mix, and the mix on the other side, Rabia Biani did, did his own kind of like crazed version of another of our tracks, which um, took it into another, another territory as well. So, yeah, it's nice to be able to get to work with uh, artists we respect also. Yeah, just hand them project. a track and they yeah, uh, exactly. turn it into something new and yeah, brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Well, continue another version of brilliant. Exactly, yeah, so. yeah. Uh, so, um, so we're going to leave Thailand there. Sure. Is that right? And no problem. Where Where are we going next? Well, I think yeah. You mentioned Pakistan, and um, I think it was. I mean, as much as I was involved in um, music writing when I lived here, I'd never really, I'd never really kind of become involved in labels in terms of compiling or putting stuff out. Um, and when I moved to just before I moved to Pakistan. A friend of mine, David Hill, um, sent me a couple of links on eBay. And he said, "Hey, look, there's some, there's some records that were put out on EMI Pakistan. Did you know such a thing existed?" I was like, "You know what? I didn't, <laughs> but it kind of makes sense. It's obviously EMI India, so it would stand yeah. to reason." Um, so he was like, "I want you, want you see if you can, you know, find someone you're out there." So I was like, "Okay, fine. You know, let's let, let's see what happens. I don't know if there are secondhand record stores in, in Islamabad." Is this because you were uh, reputation for premium crate digger of all, sorry, I was going to say all countries. That's a really uh, <laughs> offensive thing to say, isn't it? Of, uh, non of non Western countries. You, you know what? No, before before I moved away, not so much. I mean, I, I've always kind of like been explorative in, in terms of what I've bought or look, looked for, but most of it's been either in you know European countries or I've, I've got through dealers or friends of mine who have travelled. Mm-hmm. Um, but I'd I'd never done I'd never done the backpacking thing, and I'd never done the kind of like international crate digger extraordinaire thing yeah. either it's everywhere i've been has always been for work and i've just sort of like done it in my spare time and it's just, and it's i think the as, as much as it's, it's been about finding records it's also been about trying to understand the new place where i'm living because yeah. it's it's you know when you when you're there as an outsider or a foreigner i mean yes there there are the kind of entry points as a tourist but in terms of trying to understand like get a kind of like a glimpse into the national psyche of where you are uh, music's a great way of doing it mm-hmm. in terms of getting a feel and then obviously it's the stories you discover and it's the people you meet on that journey which you just wouldn't you wouldn't do that you wouldn't bump into these people yeah. and it's the same wherever i've been here whether it's vietnam indonesia when i lived in yemen as well it was a great kind of way of trying to get to sort of like understand you know where i've gone to and that's that's yeah it's a real privilege and it's a lot of fun as well yeah and it's nice yeah something that not many people get to do right Uh, but uh, but yeah that's absolutely right but i think it it also it it takes a certain amount of kind of ocd kind of effort to do it because it you know it can it can be very disheartening i mean you spend hours rummaging through boxes of of antiques and come away with nothing you kind of think well sure I should be doing something more constructive with my life than this. But then you then come across things where, which is, you know, really mind blowing and, and it kind of makes it all worth it, you know? Yeah. So, um, so, so yeah. But what was your first stop then? You got to Pakistan, 
got the call that there was an EMI Pakistan that you need to source some stuff from? Yeah, so basically, I mean, there weren't, in Islamabad, there weren't any secondhand shops. Um, I'd, I'd, my first visit in 2000, um, I'd found one, but that had long since gone by the time we moved there in 2007, I think we left there, we moved mm-hmm. there. Um, uh, 2006, yeah. And, um, uh, but because I was intrigued to hear that there'd been an EMI Pakistan, I just did some research and eventually I found, I found an email address for a man called Umar Sheikh. Um, and so I just messaged him saying, I live in Islamabad, you know, I'm, I'm interested in Pakistani music, I'm interested in your film music, kind of expecting to hear nothing back. And he mm-hmm. got back straight away saying, yes, we are EMI Pakistan, we used to be part of the British company. But when EMI left in the 80s, we, we, we took over their archive and we've got the entire EMI Pakistan archive starting in 1947 up to the present day and it's all on quarter-inch tape and it's all preserved in facilities in Karachi. What, what titles are you yeah. after? That's crazy. <laughs> and I was just like, uh, oh, well, could you send me then the, the master tapes for like Playboy and Ufya Bivian and like, these other movies? Um, which he, he, you know, again, thinking, oh, it'll just be like sort of horrible disc dubs or kind of like crummy. Yeah, just my expect book. And it's not because I didn't think they would have it, but just that in the whole realm of finding music, it's always, it's generally just, a, you know, can be a, 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 you know, sort of 10 disappointments to one victory, you know. Yeah. So I didn't really think that on my first kind of attempt, it would, I'd have a score. But yeah, about a month later, I got this big parcel through the post of CDs. And I put it on and there's like when you get things off a quarter inch tape, you can hear the hiss. There's like a three second delay before the music kicks in. Sometimes because of the way the tape's stored, you get like an echo of the beginning of the track. Like if you ever hear on records, you might hear the beginning of the, a very faint, do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, before it kicks in. And so I was, so you heard that and then the music started and I was like, oh my goodness, this, this is all off a quarter inch tape. And again, for people listening, they might think, what's this guy blathering on about? But in terms of preservation, it, it, it's, like, it's like finding the, the, the original copy of a painting or mm-hmm. the, you know, the, 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 the first print of a movie or something. It's like, or the negatives of, of a famous photographer. It's like, it's, it's, the, it's the bona fide article where if you've got that in its good condition, then you know, you, you, you've got as close as you can get. It's, incred- to, it's the good condition. That's the incredible aspect that's right. of it. And then you've got the clarity and you, you, you can hear it as it was, you know, this is how it was meant to hear. This is, meant, this is, this is how it was meant to sound like. Um, so, yeah, to get that. And then, um, to cut a long story short, I was then put in touch with Andy Botel, who, as it turned out from Finders Keepers, who, he had actually approached EMI UK and they'd just come up with, they'd be like, oh, we don't, what are you talking about? We've never There's no heard. Pakistan EMI. We've never heard of M. Ashraf, who, who you know, you're making yeah. it up or whatever. And um, I just got in touch with them and said, hey, I live in Pakistan. I could probably broker you a deal if you're interested. And that's kind of, so that was like my, my first project. Um, so I think, yeah, it'd be good to play a, a, a track from, from Pakistan. This has never been issued. So um, it's off, uh, hang on a second. So this is a complete rarity one yeah. that most people won't have heard i would say not yet I mean, we, we could say it's a 199 radio exclusive if we, if we wanted to but it's off the from um, 1970 <laughs> um, <laughs> um so this is off the film rakib um and i can't tell you too much about it except there's a sort of a uh, a couple on the front, the w- woman's wearing a kind of really nice hat. Um, yeah, so it looks like a 70s yeah. Pakistani film promo shot, right? That, that's exactly it. And the, 
Um, I can't tell you who wrote it because the 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 sleeves torn and their names kind of like. Oh, so rent. Karam Ali, someone. Yeah, so not not kind of a a, a, a famous famous like composer, yeah. but sort of. A, anyway, but the, I think what's probably running through all this is that it's it was always about finding music that was amazing and watching people's reactions when you said, "Oh, this is a piece of music from Pakistan." Invariably, they say, "Really." I'd never thought that music like this existed from dot, dot, dot. Because obviously yeah. we're dealing with people's perceptions. We're dealing with the way the music industry champions, you know, certain music over others. You know, music that is sung in, in, you know, not in English is deemed world musical or specialist or whatever it is. Yeah. And I think there was always, I mean, we, we were never political about what we did, but there was always a case of, actually, you know what, what, who, why is, you know, Bruce Springsteen more revered than, you know, you know, in, insert name here, you yeah. know. There's an accessibility issue though, right? But certainly pre-internet and pre-labels yeah. like Finders Keepers yeah. going out there and or finding people who were out there who knew this stuff and bringing th- it to this audience. Quite some. And, it, and uh, you don't want to be churlish about it. And obviously yeah. it's like, you know, people want many different things from music. I've always just been a little bit, a little bit curious, I guess, you know, and, mm-hmm. and uh, I suppose that's still quite unusual. Um, but it, nevertheless, I think once people hear things, they go, oh, I, you know that people people have a much broader taste than they realise. I suppose is what it yeah. boils down to. But it, you know, it, it's it's still quite is there isn't a level playing field when people talk about the the top ten best albums ever. They're really talking about records from a certain you know from one or two countries. Basically, yeah, the Q magazine top hundred albums go, of all yeah. times, right? That, those sorts of ones. That's exactly it. And what what's been? I mean, what's it's, been a real pleasure being part of the, the of the band and what's been nice is of course you know i've got my point my kind of like pointers with music and you know you, you kind of grow up in the uk and you know there, there's all these kind of like um milestones of music which you kind of accept but then you're in a band with you know a 76 year old guy who doesn't know who johnny rotten is and has mm-hmm. never heard of morrissey and is, isn't interested in john coltrane mm-hmm. and isn't that impressed with Jimi hendrix or whatever it might be it's like I've got my own standard, own own thing, and and, and that. So, so you kind of have to adjust your understanding and expectation of music. I mean, that's that's fun. It's fun to be challenged in that way. You know? Cool. I mean, I think we could talk about this forever without listening to any music. But shall we play <laughs> the track let, first? But let's pick... not for the sake of the, the sake of the listeners. Definitely. So this is yeah. This is off the film Rakib.
yang sangat lucu Urus kamu pendek tinggi dan kepalanya banyak kutu Datang dari jauh mereka naik Mereka lembu bermain musik Berurau sendiri hingga otaknya kutu Ini mereka jumpa seorang pengurus Tunggu buaya Mungkin masa kotak Merebut cek kepala kotak Pantang dia lihat gadis manis yang pandai lagak Pakar kita lalu bila kopi sedap-sedap Marah What, what, what do you make of that, Gareth? Well, I, I guess say, uh, Chris, when I invited Paradise Bangkok, the record label, onto this radio show, uh, I was expecting to hear music from Thailand and from uh, from Pakistan, because I know you've been involved in that, and Ethiopia as well. I didn't think I was going to hear uh, some Singapore version of <laughs> "Good Times" by Sheik, <laughs> as much as I <laughs> as much as I love Sheik at "Good Times" and "Rapper's Delight" as well, which was. Uh, I think that's what I like about it. It's a, it's a band called The Flybaits, and um, uh, I don't know much about them. But they're, Explain they're, yourself, though. How's it, how, how is this come? 
Well, I'd, I did this come across. You I, I have to give give a shout out to my friend Fukashi, who's a, a friend of mine lives in Singapore and is very kind. He sort of like hunted down certain records for me, and that was one of them. And he just said, "Oh, do you know this record?" And I was like, "No, what is it?" And he t- and he described it to me. I was like, "That sounds like it's going to be god awful, really." Okay, send me a clip, and I can. But it's it's kind of it's so kind of preposterous that you can't yeah. kind of help but like it. Well, I I can't maybe. Maybe I'm uh, different, but um, no, no, I think no, no. it's the fact that yeah they've tried to do this mashup of rappers delight with it yeah and I you know what the lyrics are going on about I'm not, I'm not well, quite rappers sure, delight has the baseline for good times of course it, yeah, it? Yeah, yeah so, so it, it, it makes sense in a way it reminds yes. me of um there's a lot of uh, Africa Afro funk and sort of Middle Eastern uh, music that mm. is like not ripping off it's uh covering james brown that's right yeah yeah, of course local language and stuff like that it's uh, always fascinating to hear that sort of stuff and and, you know i mean because singapore there's so much you know english influence there i think yeah there there was loads of covers bands and and um there's lots of groups doing the big hits and a a lot of it's very very pedestrian but a few records like obviously went about in a slightly different way and that that's one of them what's the um what's the rest of the record like not great, I'll no. be honest. But there, there's quite a fun cover of Ladies' Night on there. Uh, <laughs> Maybe we'll play that before yeah. the end of the show. <laughs> see, if we, see if we have time for it. Um, yeah, is it all covers of like, or is it just those two? Uh, I'm not sure. I haven't checked the record in depth. I must yeah. have sort of, I've sort of gravitated towards that. that you saw that the last played. track was yeah, a cover yeah, of yeah. Good Times, and that was it straight in there. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. <laughs> um, so you've. Uh, you are being very um, sly with your selections in a way, so you're slipping the vinyl onto the turntable. But I did spot that the re- next record you've got has a man in a dashing hat. Yeah, uh, so this this guy, I think he's also from Singapore, but he, he might be from Malaysia. Um, there, there's a lot of, um, because of the, the, the language similarity, it's sometimes hard to know the country origin. But um, So this is a guy called Salim Ai. And he mostly made this kind of like go-go records. Yeah. Um, but he made um, a few records. Um, the style of music is called Gambus. And Gambus comes directly from the Arab Peninsula. There's a, there was a big um, population of, of Yemeni people from mm-hmm. Hadramut, um, which settled in Indonesia and Malaysia. And it was kind of one of the routes that Islam came to the Southeast Asia, as well as coffee and the spice trade. And people just like, they went back and forth, basically. So there's a lot of... You know, there's quite a lot of people who live in Yemen who their grandfathers might have grown up in Indonesia that they've moved back. So there's yeah. always been this back and forth, you know. Um, and Gambus, it, it's I think it was called that because there, there's a Yemeni stringed instrument called a kanbus. And I, I'm, I'm going to guess that it yeah. kind of like got extrapolated. And then you have Gambus orchestras, which, you know, they, they were playing you know, very, very Arabic-influenced music, sometimes singing in Arabic as yeah. well. And you'd, especially in places like Sumatra, you'd get these bands in the, in the 50s. And so it's, it's, as you'll hear in a second, it's one of those records you hear and you think, well, it must be from the Middle East. But actually, there's, there's a lot of music like this in, in Southeast Asia, and, it, and it's really heavy, it's really deep. Yeah. And this, the, I think this track which I'm going to play is probably, probably one of my favourites in, in, in that genre. All right, so give it a go.
That's incredible. Thank you. Glad you enjoyed. Yeah. That is, so what, why, how did you come across that? So I think that there's, there's a great commonality with what I'm going to call Indian Ocean music. So mm-hmm. music from, from Thailand, the rest of Southeast Asia, Malaysia, Singapore, Indonesia, then going across the Arab Peninsula, and then the Swahili coast, like Ethiopia, Sudan, and um, some of the Arabic-influenced music from Tanzania and Kenya. And I think, again, it, it, it's, it's, it's all born out of, you know, the, the, the trade winds trade yeah. that, you know, um, that went on for about 300 years before the Portuguese ruined it. Yeah. <laughs> and they're quickly followed by the Dutch and then the British, you know. It, it, it came to an end at the beginning of the colonial era. But, but you know those those cultural echoes are still felt now. You know, yeah, not not before the sort of music and cultures had pollinated, cross pollinated yeah, really yeah. across all those countries. Yeah, which is crazy. I mean, how? What's the different? What's the distance between Ethiopia and Thailand or Singapore? Right. It's uh, well, well it's, it's obviously it's the thing is is the way to to view it is at that time when you've got the wind behind you, it was much much quicker to zip across the Indian Ocean in, mm-hmm. in a dhow than it was to travel along the road on a, on a horse. Yeah. So if you look at like maps from, from that era, from like the sort of like 1500s or whichever, 1600s, the, the ocean's always very small because people imagined it was, it, was much, it was a much lesser distance than it was because it just didn't take very long to get from A to B. Yeah. Whereas like on land, obviously, it was, it was much easier to map it, you know. Yeah. Um, so I think it's, yeah, it's, it's I, you know, when you listen to music like that, you know, it's it's from the it's an interaction between you know Indian and Arabic traders in the same way that you know East African music, you know, of, of things like um, Tarab and you know certain certain musics from uh, from Ethiopia and Sudan. It, it's the same mm-hmm. kind of like interaction, you know, Arabic and Indian Indian culture in this instance interacting with with African culture. But they they sound very very similar. I brought a, a Tarab music to play try to play in a sec so we can we can witness that for ourselves perhaps but i think again it's just i mean all the all of this is is just born out of curiosity and all all, any any kind of any kind of expertise which i've got or or nat has is just through listening to records and going oh that sounds a bit similar i wonder if there is a connection and sometimes there isn't and sometimes you can go oh gosh no look that this this definitely happened you know um so it's you know that and it's that kind of you know, passion we've both got. That's what kind yeah. of underpins the label and underpins the band and, and you know, Nat Shop and stuff as well. So it, it's, it's um, I think what's nice about it is that it kind of takes me back to being like 13 or 14 and hearing something amazing on the John Peel show or something mm-hmm. going, uh, what's, what's this? Because the thing is, as you get older, I mean, I'm now 45 and there are less surprises as time goes by. But I think, you know, being able to go to somewhere... And hear music like this, which I've literally just never heard before, it kind of takes you back to that, you know, almost primal experience of going, what's this? Well, what, what else is there? What, you know, where, where's this music from? Why is it like it is? Dot, dot, dot. Which yeah. is, you know, what got me interested in music in the first place, you know? Yeah, it makes you realise that there's so much more to find. Yeah. Right? We're scratching the surface here. There's no two ways about it, mm. you know? And um, so why, you know, I, I know off mic, I was just like, oh, I don't really like asking questions like, why did you start the label? Mm. But was it essentially a desire to bring this music to more ears who wouldn't have found it, yeah. found it otherwise? Yeah, yeah I, th- I, th- I think it was just, you know, we found the music exciting. You know, the, I mean, the, the, you know, it's always imp- I always emphasise the fact that this this came out of DJ Nights because that we road tested all this music before we released it. Yeah. Most of the stuff that we comped, 
we saw people going crazy to dancing. So we knew it was good. It wasn't just us being subjective, you know. Yeah. So it was that. It was having a confidence in that selection and just then also the, the desire to share it. And obviously, like, I think it was... It was a good thing, like myself being English and that being Thai. I think we both had our kind of like points of view, and that was that was a strength, I think, in the end. And obviously, for Nat being from Thailand, he wanted to big up his culture as well. And yeah. and, and and you know, when we first started Paradise Bangkok, because a lot of the music was kind of countryside music, so even within cities, people were like, "What? Why are we going to yeah. go to a club?" I mean, I think one of his friends said why am I going to come to a club and listen to taxi driver music? And yeah. the, the quote, which always made it made us laugh. And yeah, yeah, I understand his point of view because if I grew up in Bangkok and that would be my point of view as well, but obviously we, we were hearing other things in the music as well. So, you know, there, there were these for want of a better phrase, other Eastern elements or tropes mm. that could mean that, yeah, you could play a Thai record next to an Indonesian record, next to an Ethiopian record, next to a kind of Augustus Pablo you know, Eastern influence reggae record. And, you know, once once we'd kind of like found our kind of uh, rhythm in a sense, no one was coming up and going, why are you playing all this this mixture of stuff? Because it all just flowed together because I think that there is a connectivity to it. Yeah, because as a whole, as a curated whole, it, right. it makes yeah. sense. You know, and, 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 and that's still what, you know, underpins what we do, you know. Yeah, it's a fascinating story in a fascinating world. I'm going to play a track which is from a, a US producer called Oh No. He's a hip hop producer, releases through Stones Throw and a couple of other mm. uh, labels over there. He, back in 2009, this was when I was just first getting into breaks, people like Madlib and those sorts yeah. of guys. Uh, he released a record called Dr. Knows Ethiopian. This was, he'd gone out to Ethiopia, gone shopping, pulled mm. loads of sort of cracked and old uh, records <laughs> together yeah, yeah. and then created this incredible okay. record of samples and, you know, hip hop breaks out of it. Uh, this is the longest track on the album. It's uh, one minute, 51 seconds. Right. And it's called Soul of Ethiopia.
Good. So that's um that's music from Tanzania. It's a Black Star Musical Club, and the track's called uh, Chosi Lanatoka. And the reason I played it is because that is a style of music called Tarab, mm-hmm. and it's it's a kind of pretty even balance between like East African rhythms and like Arabic melodies and Indian you know melodies and arrangements. And it, it it's it's like Swahili coast music. Yeah. And it's it, it's a direct kind of um, result of the sort of trading relationships that we were talking about earlier, you know? Yeah, I mean, from, like, a naive ears point of view, if you'd come in and said, oh, well, this is a Bollywood film piece of music, right. I would have just taken you for your, at your word, right? There you so go, yeah. It's that sort of thing. And obviously that's that's not scientific, but I think as, as, as an anecdotal thing, it does kind of like lean towards the point. And I remember I played some other a friend of mine from Malaysia was visiting once, mm-hmm. um, and I was telling him, I said, oh, do you, you know, because we'd been talking about Gambus, which is like the track we played a couple, you know, the, the Salim I track we played earlier. And I said, do you know about Tarab from, from the east coast of Africa? He's like, no, I've never heard of it. And I played him a track and he went, sorry, hang on, where's this from? And I said, it's from Tanzania. He goes, but this is our music. <laughs> and I said, well, yes, it is and it isn't, you know. Yeah. And obviously, again, that doesn't prove anything. But I think the, to, for, for someone who's never heard Tarab to immediately go, yeah, I recognize this. Yeah, yeah. There must be something going on. So the appropriation of the music yeah. to themselves, right? Yeah, there you go. Yeah, exactly. Even though it's like over 300 years of trading history mm-hmm. and, you know, it, it's everyone's music. It's, uh, yeah, it's really fascinating how how that happens in a world. Obviously, now we live in a world where 
everything is connected and you can you know you can run a record label between london and thailand That's true, right yeah, quite absolutely you know yeah, whereas yeah. and you know people and i always use this example of sort of reggae dancehall jamaican influence sounds are in every corner of the globe yeah, now true, you can find true, it anywhere true. um because of how that's come across but the fact that you know this music was recorded what 70s yeah that would be like the mid 70s this you, track you know where none of this exists and it's all from a rich history of ah, you know ah. people sailing across the ocean that's it's right yeah fascinating and i think also the, the other i mean I, I, I occasionally i think am i just being like a, a luddite still looking you know doggedly looking listening looking for old records but the fact is that even though yeah we are connected and so much is available on the internet or digitally there's a bunch of stuff that isn't Mm-hmm. And, that, you know, a lot of the Indonesian Malay records I find, you know, it's not not even on YouTube necessarily. Yeah. All the stuff I found in Yemen is basically that is not available on the Internet. So it's there's still a kind of a point to it in a sense. I mean, obviously, I've got my own personal interest. But beyond that, I think that it's possible to find music that literally no one's heard before. Yeah. Even in an age where you think you can you can find anything you want with a click of a button. Yeah. And that's why. You know, for those of us who don't do that work, record labels like mm. yours, like Paradise Bangkok, mm. are so important because you guys do the legwork, so to speak. Yeah, and you know, you true. go yeah, find yeah. it and go, you know what, this is going to work on a dance floor in you know South London or wherever. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, it's, it's fascinating. The first track for those who've been listening since the start, the first track we played, um, Ding Ding Dong. Yeah. That my introduction to your label was my friend Anthony playing that on a dance floor ah, in Peckham. Okay. And Great. it was, you know, he'd picked it up. We'd been at the label market, independent label market at Spitalfields that morning. And <laughs> he'd picked it up from Frank from the Carvery, yeah, who had yeah, a stool yeah, there, yeah. and just went, this sounds mad. Put it on the dance, <laughs> uh, put, it on, put, it, put, it, put it on as he's wanted to do. And yeah, it was, you know, the people there were just really getting into it. And it's, yeah, and, mesmerizing I- that you can find that stuff. And, and I, I remember the first copy of that I found. It was it was because it, it never came out as no actually no it did come out as a single sorry mm-hmm. but it was I picked my first copy off off an LP this this store that was quite close to where I lived when we first moved to Bangkok and yeah just coming back home and listening to it and thinking what does what does it all mean yeah where what you know this it was like one of the first albums I bought when I lived there mm-hmm. and just thinking I I think probably there's going to be loads more of this and this yeah. is actually just the start and my wife was a bit like I can't believe you've come all this way and you've still found records yeah. to buy you know? <laughs> but that's how it goes could you imagine how disappointed you'd been if that was the gold you just hit it straight away and that was it there was nothing else but yeah yeah that that would have that would have been sad and in fact there was one there's one store like a lot of the record shops um where I was shopping in um all the music, all the the discs would be behind the counter, and there'd be kind of an old man who would guard it all, and <laughs> he'd sort of like insist on putting it on a turntable for you to listen to. He wouldn't let me like take it away and just put it on a portable or whatever. Yeah. But there's one shop which would just said, "Look, just help yourself." And I think, I mean, it took about two years just going around every shelf and just pulling everything out that looked relevant. And but I remember coming to the the last box and going, "Crikey, that's it." There's, there's actually nothing else to listen to and feeling a bit kind of bereft oh, at the end of it. You didn't just start again. <laughs> Maybe I should have done it. You know, because yeah. you never know some things that you dismiss the first time, the second time round could yeah, sound true. completely no, different. You, you, no, you, but you're right as well because, there's, there, you know, obviously when I first started, I didn't really have much knowledge about this music and there was definitely some things I would have, like, let go, so... Maybe I should have. Maybe I'll go back and do it all again. Your wife's listening now going, oh, God. 
who's, <laughs> who's given him this suggestion? Yeah, that's how you get up yeah. sticks again, go back to Thailand <laughs> and go through the shop. So, um, in, in, speaking of the label, what's next? What, what else have you got coming out? Yeah, we've got we've, so we've got the reissue, um, well, alongside Zudrang Ma, that release, um, of KS, and then, um, I'm also going to put out a compilation of uh, an artist called Kwanjit Sripajan, mm-hmm. who we had the great pleasure of actually performing with a couple of years ago as well at one of our parties in Bangkok. And she comes from a tradition of, of music called Lair. And that is, it's music that is sung, like it, if, if you were a young man growing up in Thailand, it, there'd probably come a point where you would join a monastery for a sort of either for a long period of time or a short period of time mm-hmm. so you'd have a ceremony your head would be shaved and your family would come and it would all be a big celebration and a lair singer would be would perform and they, they're basically you know talking about the life of the buddha and they're talking about morality and how you must honor your parents and so on and so forth and strangely enough why poor petsipan who's who's you know the track we open with he's predominantly known as a lair singer and when i well, I found a bunch of his albums in one shop and I said to the guy, could you write out in Thai who this guy is so I can show it to other shop owners? Mm-hmm. And when I first went to Chinatown, I went into a, a, a place and I said, I'm looking for music by this guy. And one of the other staff made a joke and everyone laughed. And I was like, okay, what's, what's, what's <laughs> so funny, you know? And the, and the guy who shop spoke, spoke English, he said, oh, sorry, sorry. My friend wants to know, are you planning on becoming a monk? And I was like, I it's not on the agenda at the moment, but you know, who knows? He's, I said, why? He's old because the guy you're looking for, Wipod, he sings music called Lair, and then he explained the history of it. And so that's kind of how I first encountered it. But also with Wipod, I think his his vocal, I kind of felt, you know, really was attracted to straight away because it had this kind of like soulfulness, like spirituality to it, almost like a gospel singer. So that was also intriguing that, it, that obviously something had come through, even though I didn't understand what he was singing about or the, the tradition of the music, something hit me, nevertheless. Mm. So this singer we're going to play now, Kwanjit, she was also like a famous lair singer and she still sings this style today. And this is something you're putting out. Yeah, sorry, sorry. <laughs> that, that, thanks, Gareth. Yeah, we're going to be reissuing this soon as well. And and again, like I mentioned earlier, how some of the Thai music initially kind of remind me of, of Ethiopian music a bit. And this kind of resonates uh, in, in, in that style with me as well. Great. I'm 
So you've got a release date for it? I want uh, it. Uh, early Tell me next when year. I can get it. Early next year, and I'll, I'll, I'll give you a shout. No, paradisebangkok.bandcamp.com, would that be the place to go? It would be, yeah, that's, that, that's correct. Yeah, it'll be on there. It's Quanjit Sripajan. Um, and it'll be like a compilation of, of some of her of some of her best tracks. But she again, like, it's very you know very unique vocal style, and and still you know still sounds as good today. You know. Yeah, you were saying you performed with her. Yeah, yeah. She she very kindly agreed to perform at one of our anniversary gigs, and yeah, she came down with this massive entourage of people. And I mean, and the thing is as well, like a lot of those traditional bands, they you know they they perform all over the country. And they it tend they tend to be quite big affairs. There's like sort of thirty people. There's dancers mm-hmm. because it's like, you know, f- f- for us we've got the luxury. Oh, should we form a band? Oh, that'd be fun. Okay, let's do that then. And then in other parts of the world, it's like that becomes like that's your source of income. And if you make it in a community, then people are going to think, oh great, could you could I join you? And then I can yeah. make some money as well. So you become responsible for a lot of people. And then you know it's going to be immediate family as well as close friends or people in your neighbourhood. So it's, it, it, it's complicated, you know. Yeah. So, you know, we could say, oh, can you, can you just come on your own? It's like, that's not possible. You yeah, know, if yeah. I'm coming, I've got to, you know, everyone's going to make some money here, you know. Oh, wow. Yeah, so um, how you obviously find a lot of records and issue. How mm. many, when you said that you'd perform with her, I was sort mm. of taken aback by, oh, what, she's still alive and performing? Yeah, like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How, I mean, yeah, quite so, a lot of them doing that still. Or? There's a few of them, and that, and again, I think this this was the real benefit of, of being able to do this, like living in Thailand and still having those connections. And I think that you know, it's it's worth saying that you know, if if I tried to do this on my own, I mean, I wouldn't be here chatting to you. It's as yeah. simple as that. Um, you know, my friendship with Nat is what kind of made that possible because obviously he has his connections, and then you know, now that I'm no longer living there. That's a you know it, that's a, a vital ingredient of oh, getting speak stuff the language done. As well, right? You know, and then you know, and even early on when before we had the label, when when we were doing stuff for Soundway, there were some tracks that were super hard for me to license. So mm-hmm. he, he was able to go in and do that negotiation. So it's you know it, it's it's about the the labels is, is as much about our, our friendship as much as anything else. That's kind of the, the the glue that makes it work. Really, it's one of the things that struck me earlier when we were chatting, and you were talking about how sort of Thai record shop owners and people who were Thai uh, sort of saw you as this curiosity and they were like, yeah. well, why are you playing this country music? Or why are you into <laughs> right. it? That, and so I was sort of struck by that. So you are in a label and a band with Nat who is Thai. Yes. So what? why does he not see it the same as every other Thai person? He, I guess you'd have to ask him that, I guess. But I think it's... Uh... I don't know, hard to answer on someone else's behalf as well. But I think part of it will be, you know, he, he didn't just grow up in Thailand. He, he spent some of his, his school education years in Australia. Mm-hmm. And then he was living in London as well. So I think he's kind of been about, but he's sort of like got a slightly different point of view. And I think that, you know, we kind of had very similar musical ideas. And like when we DJ together, we generally play back to back. And yeah. there's a there's a kind of a strange chemistry in as much as, generally we'll we'll be thinking about playing similar music like if he's if if we're playing reggae one of us will go should we go to this now and one of us had already had the thought but someone else you know articulated it first or sometimes we'll both be reaching for the same record at the (laughs) same time yeah so there's kind of i don't know but but that's in itself because he's like you know he's he's quite a bit younger than i am so it's quite a it's an unusual partnership that and friendship but one that you know 
you know, it's, it's great to have, uh, you know, on, on a social basis and, a, and a, on a business basis, you know. Yeah, and we can uh, ask him the same question anyway when he's DJing with you in a couple of weeks, right? In That's London. true, yeah. I mean, it's, I mean it's, it's been good to come on this show today, actually, because I think things have been a little bit quiet with the label this year. Just There's been a lot of different things we've both been involved in and things have been on a, on a slight hiatus. So we're, we're doing some dates in Europe at the moment. We're going to be playing... This is the with, band. This is the band, yeah. We're de- so we're, we're, and DJ. We're DJing in Hamburg in a couple of days. Bands playing in Bremen and um, Berlin and Mannerheim. Um, and a couple of other dates as well. It's all on the the the, the Paris Bangkok Facebook page, um, and then yeah, then that's going to come to London. We're playing. We're going to be on on NTS together in a week or so on the seventeenth. Mm-hmm. Then we're doing Diggers Dozen Max Maxwell Pastors. Uh, great uh, monthly event uh, in the evening and then on the 21st of October yeah we're playing Brilliant Corners all night and yeah, uh, yeah it'd be nice because I mean we don't get the chance to DJ that often anymore so it's, it's always nice to be able to do that yeah sounds good so what's uh, what's next I, I can see a record on the turntable that has lots of writing I don't understand well there's I mean with with the whole process of finding music um, we've kind of both pretty much got the same records, but there's still a, there's a couple of things I've got which now hasn't got and vice versa. And mm-hmm. this was one of these records that he found. And I was like, oh my goodness, you have to find me a copy, which he, which he did about a year yeah. later, I think. So I, I, it's hard to tell what this is. It's, it's, most disco records I heard in Thailand were not very good in as much they didn't seem to have much connection to the kind of the R&B which underpins the best disco. It was yeah. like most of them just skim off the Bee Gees version and try to recreate that. Um, but I think this was made like as like radio um, stings or uh, for advertising or something, or it's a library okay. record. But it, it's as you'll hear in a second, it's, it's proper and it's like the only decent disco record that you know to date we we found out of Thailand. Out of Thailand, yeah, out yeah. of Thailand. We yeah, whoever like, underplayed that. Plenty so, of other great disco records, of course. <laughs> but yeah, in terms of it, was the one style that never seemed to kind of like come off that well mm-hmm. in, in Thailand at least. But this is yeah, this is is kind of inexplicable. So I think yeah, let's let's play it. Sounds good to me. <laughs>
think we could listen to this. I think <laughs> yeah. we could listen to this all day. It's it's a even. I mean, I've not listened to it in in a in a, in a short while, but it's an it's an inex. I don't know who's behind this record. I don't know how why they made it, or, but yeah. it, it's 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 a, a proper curio and a, and a wonderful one at that. Yeah, and it's an amazing uh, way to end this show. Two hours is always way too short. Yeah, but... zip by. Been but, a pleasure. Yeah, but it's, so is there anything you need to plug? So you've got your shows in Europe with Paradise Bangkok, yeah. Merlin International Band, DJing Brilliant Corners in Dalston, is it? That's right, yeah, exactly. In 21st of October. And then, yeah, and then um, watch this space. We're, we're, we're uh, hopefully some more band stuff as well in, in, in the pipeline, but I'll be discussing that with Nat and the guys when I see them in a few days. So, yeah, watch this space. Excellent. Well, thanks so much for joining us and paradisebandcamp.com yeah. if anyone wants to buy everything that we've... Well, all the stuff that's available that we've played, of which is very little. It's been an <laughs> incredible selection of music. Uh, that's all we've got time for for this episode, but... I will be back in two weeks' time with mm. Wawa 45s. You aware of Wawa 45s? I am indeed, yeah, great label. Wonderful mix of uh, disco, funk, edits. Also do reggae and dub and, you know, a proper label that is quite hard to pin down exactly mm. what they do. Um, but I'm going to play us out with a bit of Haitian funk uh, from Henry Pierre Knoll. Uh, it came out in 2014. Not the first thing I discovered from the label, but one of the things that is just follows quite nicely from that it's nice just one. absolutely cracking so thank you so much for listening if you um, myfavoritelabels.com if you want to listen back or listen to any of the other shows give us a like on facebook all the rest of it and yeah i'll see you in two weeks thanks for listening cheers
Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market.